Well, welcome again, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for our service. Uh, if you're uh, new or visiting with us this morning, we want to send a special welcome to you. Um, we will certainly try, I'm sure someone will try to say hello to you. If, if we're not able to make our way to you, if we don't recognize that you're new, um, don't be afraid to reach out to one of us and say hello. Uh, if you are new or want to get connected with the uh, church in any way, if you have any prayer requests, we have yellow sheets that are on the uh, table right out in the foyer there. Uh, you can fill one of those out and drop it in our offering box, which is right inside the double doors here for your offering and for these yellow sheets. Uh, you can drop that in there. Uh, just a few announcements today. Um, Mom's Fellowship will be meeting uh, this evening, I believe, from 6.30 to 8 in the Fellowship Hall, tackling the topic of mom guilt. Uh, the group is designed for the busy mom who needs some kid-free time to connect. Uh, it's for uh, moms of elementary age or younger children. Uh, if you do have any uh, infants or little ones, they are welcome to join you, but there will not be any uh, child care provided. Um, and I'm sure if you bring a little one, uh, you probably won't have to do much child care. They'll either there'll probably be lots of other moms willing to help and hold. Um, there are a couple of women's Bible studies starting. Uh, more information and sign-up sheets are available on the welcome desk, which is out in the foyer as well. Amber Cargus will be leading a study called Abide on Tuesdays from 6.30 till 8 in the conference room here at the church. That starts January 23rd. And Mary Holmes will be facilitating a study on Philippians, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's Tuesday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. beginning in February. Again, sign-up sheets are out in the back. Ruby's Pantry is a great opportunity for us to serve our communities. Uh, that's uh, held at the Living Waters Church in Cameron. And the next one is January 20th, which is the Saturday at 7 a.m. if you'd like to help out there. Uh, we'd like to uh, remind you to be praying for our youth who are at districts right now. Uh, they're they traveled on a snowy, blustery day there, and they're going to be traveling home on a very cold day, so we just pray for their safety in travels, but also that they would be richly blessed uh, through this time. And then we also have small groups which are going to be starting. Sign-ups, again, are on the welcome desk, or not on the welcome desk, they're on the table right out uh, back there, and uh, if you have any questions, please contact Pastor Aaron, and we have a short uh, video uh, for that. And then Pastor Cody will come up and share the word with us this morning. You and I are made to enjoy God in all of his glory. But that's not all. Don't settle for a supposed Christianity that consists of praying a prayer at some point in your life and then coasting your way to heaven with casual commitment to Christ on earth. Every disciple of Jesus is called by God to share his word, show his word, and teach his word, and serve the world as a disciple maker. Lift your eyes from all lesser purposes. What does a life look like that is consumed with this purpose, enjoying God in all of his glory and exalting God in all the nations of the world. Well, 
Awesome. We encourage you to sign up because we're going to be church-wide in different ways, different homes, different places doing that study. So we encourage you. There's a sign-up sheet at, I believe, the table there. So please sign up and we'll figure out, Pastor Aaron's going to figure out, he's going to do all the work for us and uh, work that out. And we're excited to do that. As he said, we're here on earth to share, to know, to proclaim God's word. And all that's part of God's word. And that's what we're doing. And before we begin, I just want to read this verse out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says this, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And that's what we're going to study today a little bit here as we get into our time, but before we do that, would you join me in a word of prayer before we get into this? Lord, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. It is faithful. It is true. It does not return void. It is more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is that living, active, two-edged sword. And Lord, help us learn from it but also submit to it and father we lift up the youth today as they are at districts we thank you for the time that they've had already we thank you for the safety through the snow and even though there was one complication we're thankful for tow trucks and we are grateful for safety and and i even pray right now as we're Here, the youth are gathering in their large room. There's almost 4,000 students. And I know many of them are tired. This is the the last session that they're having, and many of them have been drinking a lot of Mountain Dew, so their their eyes are, are staying awake in a variety of ways. But I pray you would speak powerfully to them, and I pray that the commitments they have made, they would stand upon and remind each other of those, Lord. So we thank you for our youth leaders who have volunteered to give their time. Many of them are there. They're weary also. They've taken time off of work to be there. And we also thank you for Pastor Tony, his work, and Michelle. We thank you for all they do for our students. We are so blessed by the labor and love they have, not just for our students, but for our families and our church. May you bless them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Grab your Bibles out right now because we're going to be kind of looking at and thinking about Bibles and and just what we have. And if you recall, we're doing a two-part series right now, which is kind of a precursor to our study in the book of Acts. We're going to go through the book of Acts in about a year and a half. I've mapped out every Sunday as best as I could, and things come up so that might get stretched out a little bit more. But I, I do my best as we do this, do this. What we've done now is... Last week we looked at why study the Bible, the importance of why study the Bible, and today we're going to look more at how to study the Bible. In fact, I thought about literally printing off my sermon notes so you could have those, not just as a handout, but so you could have them as you work through them as we go through this. Today is kind of like a class setting as we go through this. Last week we encouraged you to be passionate about God's Word. In fact, 
as you know, I've, I've used this term Bible sniffer. I'm a Bible sniffer. And if you don't know what that means, it's because when I was a little kid, I would go with my dad to the bookstores and we'd go right to the Bible section and the new Bibles, I would just open up and go, because they smell good. I mean, new books smell good. And uh, that, that's just a weird thing. But I love this verse here. Jeremiah 15 says this. When your words came, I ate them. They were a joy and my heart's delight. And my desire as a pastor, our desire as a church, that you would get passionate about God's word. As you know, I, I use that line, keep your fingers in the word. And I love that we as a church have, from as young as you are to old as you are, we want you to be digging in God's word. We are so grateful for Pastor Aaron, who is helping uh, the students and the children get involved in God's Word at Sunday school, at Awana, all the things that we have. So we are excited about getting you passionate about God's Word, but also through that, we want you to know God and how He has revealed Himself, His will, His character, and out of that, that you would mature and grow in your salvation. We saw that verse out of 1 Peter, that we would grow and mature in our salvation. And that is our goal. But this week is the how. This week is more kind of nuts and bolts on how to, how to study God's Word. And honestly, I really haven't spent much time doing this as a pastor up front, but I need to do this. And, and this might be hard to hear, because at times... I have heard some of you mishandle God's Word. And, you know, again, so I'm the professional, you could say. I'm the one who studied it all, and so I've got an ear for things. So once in a while in conversation or something or in meetings, someone will say one thing, and later they'll say another thing, and I'll be like, well, that, that's not congruent with Scripture. And, 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 and my main job is to protect this part. So even when someone's sharing God's words, I usually say, can I see your notes first? And I read through them and make sure, you know, they're not like saying heresy or something like that. And so, so I've done my best to make sure that doesn't happen up here. But at times, at different areas, I've heard or at meetings, someone use Scripture out of context. And I've scratched my head and been like, that person's been a part of the church their whole life. How, how do they not know how to use God's Word? So what I want to do today is take time how to learn the skills and proper interpretation, and how to study it on your own. So a couple things I want to encourage you to do is this. I would encourage you to get three different Bibles. How many of you have at least two or more Bibles in your house? We have a lot of Bibles, right? I would encourage you to do this. When I study the Bible, I have three different types of Bibles that I look at. I open them up and lay them in front of me. So here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to get an NIV Bible. How many of you have an NIV Bible? You may not even know, but open up to the beginning, and it will say the NIV Bible, okay? That's the Bible translation where they have a lot of Bible scholars working. In fact, did you know that even though the NIV came out in the late 60s, early 70s, that committee meets yearly still working on words. There's archaeological study and findings, and they're like, maybe we should tweak this word from pancake to something else that's a little bit more, maybe it was flatter than what we think pancake. Maybe we should use the word crepe. Okay, that's not in the, in the Bible. But, so that's what they do. So I would encourage you to get an NIV Bible. Secondly, get an ESV Bible. How many have an ESV Bible? Okay, a few of you have an ESV. So again, 
You don't have to go online and maybe get the, the fancy like this one, his leather-bound study Bible. You don't have to get that. Go to the local thrift store. You can get Bibles there, very cheap. So get an NIV Bible, get an ESV Bible, and then secondly, I would encourage you to get the NLT Bible. How many have an NLT Bible? This is a great Bible translation. Uh, in fact, all three of these, my professors were on the translation teams still today. In fact, for the NIV Bible, Doug Moo is the one who married my wife and I. He's currently the president of the NIV translation. Uh, another uh, ESV, a handful were in there. Wayne Grudem was, was one of the main Bible translators for this. My father-in-law did the study notes in this. So great scholarly people involved in this. And the NLT Bible, this is more of a modern one. <clears throat> this is a great translation. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I encourage you, if you have children, this is the Bible I would, the Bible translation I would get. I grew up with the King James Bible. How many of you grew up with the King James Bible? Okay, just so you know, the King James Bible, currently today, you have to have a college education to understand it. Because the words are so old. Words in, our, in America, words change every 20 years. So we need to have translations that understand and communicate God's words. So I encourage you, Get those three translations. Make sense? In fact, I would do this right now because today isn't your typical sermon. I'm not going to do a big expository preaching. Today's how to. So get your phone out right now and maybe turn to your notes section. Or we have pencils in front of you. Scribe some notes down on a piece of paper. Write down NIV, NLT, and ESV. And just so you know, well, Stacy's in district, at, at districts in Green Bay right now. These, these notes will be online for you probably tomorrow. So get those three. Another thing I encourage you to get is this book here. Every couple months I talk about this book. So William Mounts is a Bible Greek scholar and he put this together. Back in the day we had a dictionary when I was a kid called the Vines Dictionary. Anybody remember that book? Yeah, it's a great dictionary on Old and New Testament words, primarily New Testament words I think it was. But this one, he didn't just write himself, he relied upon 800 scholars, two main volumes of books that I have in my office, and he compiled it down to one. So this is called the Complete Expository Dictionary of Old Testament and New Testament Words. And it's important that we study and understand what the word worship means biblically, not what it means in the English dictionary, okay? So get this book. In fact, I'll put this book up here. Uh, do we have, oh, we, we do have a picture of, yeah. I think we have a picture of it possibly in one of the slides. It might be, if not, that's okay. I'll put this up here. So I encourage you, these are the books that you need as you study. And let me just begin with this. You don't have to know fancy, big, theological words to study the Bible. And as I go through the book of Acts, I told you it's a historical narrative but we're also going to do a lot of theology. So I, I don't want to just throw out big words and terms and make you feel like, man, I don't know that word. But these are two words that used in the academic world, academic circles, that explain some of the work that is done as you study the Bible. The first one is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is derived from the Greek word that means to interpret. What we want to do is when we read Scripture, we want to interpret and understand Scripture. Traditionally, it has meant that science which delineates principles or methods for interpreting the, an individual's author's meaning. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. It is a science 
it is an art and it is a spiritual act. So in a sense that it's a science, and you have to learn certain skills, you have to learn certain aspects, which we'll talk about here in a moment, on how to do this. But also, it's an art to understand and put it together. When I work on a sermon and do my hermeneutical study, I don't just, I'm not like a robot and just write it all out. It's an art on putting it together. And it's a spiritual act. Because what do we do before we approach Scripture? We pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Another term is exegesis, which means to draw out, to exegete, to draw out the truth. The determination of a biblical passage meaning in its historical and literary context. What it meant. So, my job as a preacher is to expound on Scripture, expository preaching. I'm not just giving what I feel it meant and what, what fits with society quick right now and very topical. No, I use a lot of exegesis. So those are two words that we probably won't talk about, but just so you know, if you hear those words, that's what they mean. And the purpose of biblical hermeneutics is to help us know how to properly interpret. Because then we are going to come upon the book of Acts. And there's going to be parts and sections of the books of, book of Acts that are going to be hard to understand. It's a very hard book to, to work through at times. This is what it says. That's the main thing we need to come to. We need to come to the point where we're going, this is what Scripture says. We want to properly interpret, but secondly, we want to properly understand it. You don't have to have a big Bible degree to understand Scripture. You've got the Holy Spirit working in you, but we want to do it in the right way. We move from this is what it says to this is what it means. This is what Scripture is teaching here in this section. So let me give you a couple examples as we go through the book of Acts. We're going to deal with baptism. And it's interesting, if you would step back and look at the churches in Rice Lake, most of our differences in why we're maybe not worshiping with them comes upon our understanding of baptism and its role within the Christian life. So what does it mean? And then, so we want to properly interpret, properly understand, and then properly apply. We want to learn how to apply the passage. So we move from this is what it says to this is what it means, and this is how I am supposed to live it out. Again, I think concisely the greatest def one of the greatest definitions of worship is obedience. Our goal remains to hear the message of the Bible as it was given and understand it to its original audience and how they would have heard it and understood it. Or the first readers, how they would have understood it and lived it out. And here's a very important line. We do not create meaning, we find it. You get that? Because there's so many times people want to be like, here's what's going on in society, here's what I believe, and we want, to, we want to push this topic so then they find Bible passages to back up what they think is very important, and they begin to create meaning. We don't create meaning we find it, we exegete it, we work hard and, and use a lot of tools to do that. Because if we don't, 
That's where cults begin. Unsafe ways to interpret and imply. It feels right to me. This is what feels right to me. And you know what? You read a hard passage, you just go, man, I don't know what to do with this, but here's the best way to understand it. So this feels right to me. For example, in Leviticus 19, verse 19, it says this, that the children of God are not to wear clothing with two types of fabric or material. How many are wearing right now two different types of threadings on your clothing? So just raise your hand. You are. You're not wearing all straight cotton, okay? If you are, or, or all wool, you'll be scratching like nonstop. So, are we breaking God's law? Well, what determines us to understand how to properly interpret that and apply it today. What, what are the right steps to do that? You can go, well, no, we're not, and, and you just come up with what feels right to you, but what are the right ways to do it? Or we spiritualize things. It's interesting, the, when you look at church history, the Middle Ages, they tried to spiritualize every word in the Bible. And it just got to be silly and goofy. But then I look today and I go, man, we spiritualize stuff today all the time in Scripture. You read about a storm that Jesus had with the disciples and you just go, Jesus will calm the storms in your life. Even though the statement you said is true, but are you using that passage in the right way? Are you just spiritualizing that? Are we, every time you see the, the word giant in the Bible, are you to slay giants in your life? Is that really what that's talking about? How do we not spiritualize it and try to understand what did the original audience mean? What group of people were, was the author speaking to? Or sometimes we ignore Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How many want to be an enemy of God? My hands are going to be in my pockets. How many of you choose to be with the world and some of the activities you do and the things you Oh, man, well, we'll just ignore that because I, I don't know. Or here's one of the most dangerous things that we can say. It means this to me. This would drive most pastors crazy. Well, today we've got maybe a different type of pastors out there sitting in a group of 20 people. You read a Bible passage and everyone goes around saying, well, it means this to me. Well, it means this to me. It means this to me. I'm going to say, listen, pause. There's one meaning to the passage. There can be a, a hundred ways to apply it, but don't just jump to, oh, this means this to me and my little puppy, okay, or whatever. No, there's one meaning to the passage. How do you understand and determine that? For instance, on the Sermon on the Mount, there's a large, did I grab that one? No, I grabbed a different one. A large commentary that my father-in-law wrote on Matthew. In the beginning, he says this about the Sermon on the Mount. He says there are 45 different meanings and interpretations of the Beatitudes. And when it comes down to it, he says when he did his research with all the different, from, from Protestants to Catholics, all the main writings, he said there's 36 different interpretations of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, how do you come up with 35 interpretations? 36. So here's a line I say. Some people say, will you take the Bible literally, Cody? I said, yes, comma. 
I don't just say, yes, I take the Bible literally, because then people will be like, okay, whatever. Here's what I say. I take the Bible literally in its historical and literary context. In fact, I would encourage you to write that down. Get your phone out. These are note time. This is like school. Write this down. I take the Bible literally in its historical and literary context. With that, let me help you with that. Leviticus 19.19. You shall not wear clothing with mixed fibers. I'm wearing mixed fibers. Do I take the Bible literally? Yes. If I would just say literally, period, then guess what? I'm breaking God's law because right now I've got a variety of threads on me. But I take the Bible literally in its historical context. Who was that spoken to? It was spoken to the children of Israel during the Old Covenant, right? To those specific people. Was that passage for all people, all time? Well, we've got to get the tools to figure that out, but I don't believe that was written for all people at all times. That was prescribed specifically for those people at that time. Not for me today. And... Christ has come. He's fulfilled the law. And we understand that now. Now I can go like, guess what? I take the Bible literally in its historical and literary context. There are different types of writing. There's prophecy. There's apocalyptic scripture. There's historical narrative. There's poetry. I don't read poetry the same as I do as I read the commands of God. Even though there's some great commands in poetry, we need to understand it that way. So notice some of the problems you can have with passages or topics if you just read it literally and take every word exactly the way it says. This is out of Matthew chapter 5, 29. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. How many have you ever looked at something you should not have looked at? Then I'll ask how many of you are liars. Okay, just kidding. Okay. So how many of you ever had your eye offend you where you looked at something you should not have? Okay. How many of you have plucked out your eye? Any of mine? Wait, both of that. Okay. Well, how do we understand that? Well, if you take it literally, you should pluck out your eyes. Or... It's historical and literary context. When we look at the death of Jesus, in Mark 15, Mark says Jesus died at the third hour. John says he died at the sixth hour. Some people are like, oh, the Bible's got an heir. It's full of heirs. Look at that. They don't even know when Jesus died. And these are people who saw him. What's going on? Even though Mark, we would say, was young at the time, John was... Did he die at 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock? The Bible doesn't even know, people might say. I would say that's a supposed problem. What you need to do is take up the literary context, look at the historical context, and look at the audience. Who's Mark writing to? Compared to who's John writing to? Mark's writing to mainly Jewish people who are working on a different calendar and watch compared to John who's writing to just general Roman people who have a different clock and a different calendar. Jesus died at the same time. They're just using different words for the different specific audiences. Or this one, Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus said, suffer 
little children. That's from the King James. How many want your children to suffer? Well, you're not like Jesus. Jesus said, suffer the children. Well, again, here we're having a language problem, a translation problem, which the word suffer meant something very different in the 1600s than it does today. So we've got to look at the Bible translations. That's why I say get three translations out in front of you, three great translations. Or how do you understand the New Testament law? Or pertaining to the book of Acts, how do we understand topics like this? Here's a handful of them. Is Acts to be the blueprint of the church? A lot of people read the first couple chapters of Acts and go, this is the original church. We must get back to the book of Acts and be just like them. This is the blueprint of the church. But I'm going to say this. We often idealize and glamorize the early church and forget the first church had sin issues, had problems. So what do we do with that? How do we apply that? And we're going to work through that as we go through the book of Acts. Here's a question I want you to think about. And if you could write this down, I should have put it on the screen. What is the minimum one must believe to be a Christian? That's a great question. What is the minimum one must believe to be a Christian? <clears throat> and we're going to have to work through that question through the book of Acts. Because we're going to meet people, families, who understand the law understand god as one understand then what who jesus was not just jesus but he is the messiah the christ the fulfillment of it but then we're going to be people who don't understand that at all they go on these missionary trips and they're they they believe in greek mythology and and different gods and they get presented the gospel what's the minimum one must believe to be a Christian. That's a great question to wrestle through. I encourage you. Do they need to articulate in a paragraph the Trinity? Can you articulate in a paragraph the Trinity? That's hard for me to do. That's a question we're going to wrestle through. Here's another question. We're, oh, this is a great one. What does prayer do in the book of Acts? And what does prayer do in your life? I can't wait to work on the theology of prayer. Here's a question we got to ask. Are the miraculous gifts still for today? So let me pause on that. One thing I've noticed, and this is something I've noticed in my life, especially when I went to Bible school. I grew up in a Baptist church, loved the Lord, had my King James Bible, nothing wrong with that. Studied and memorized piles of passages. I went to Bible school with a lot of knowledge already that I was taught by my pastor, by my Sunday school teacher. But when I got to Bible school, I realized, oh, there's other ways to think about this. And it was hard for me to go, okay, be willing to hear other views on different things and I began to listen and think and go, okay, what does Scripture truly teach? So for some of us, it's going to be hard for us to go, well, when it comes to spiritual gifts, here's what we believe. It's going to be hard to go, let's just pause 
and see what Scripture teaches. Not just this one little verse, because a lot of times I think one of the problems that happens in the book of Acts is different people take a look at one verse and go, ah, this is what has to be. They don't look at the whole counsel of God. They don't look at redemptive history. What is prophecy in speaking in tongues? What are those gifts? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? These are questions we need to approach and learn from the book of Acts. Are we to have signs and wonders today? What stage of redemptive history is happening at this time? Here's another great question we're going to work on a lot through in the book of Acts. What is missions? Oh, I'm excited about this. What is missions? Or this one. Why is theology important? Some of you might be going, why are we, I mentioned this last week, when we go through the book of Acts, we're going to take a section of the book of Acts. We're not, we're not, not going to maybe cover that whole chapter. I'm just going to pull one part out. We're not going to cover every story, or this would be literally a 28-year study. We're going to take a section, we're going to study the book of Acts, but also each Sunday we're going to look at a theological topic because Luke, writing this, is pushing theology. Why is theology important? Or this one. Why is church history important? The book of Acts is our history book that we have in the New Testament. The other writings are also. But mainly this is like our history lesson. Why is church history important? Do we need it? I mentioned this every other week about we're going to have someone share on someone in church history, someone who's gone before us, who either was a missionary, a martyr, someone who understood prayer more than we understand prayer, a theologian. Why is church history important? Or what is the role of baptism in the process of salvation? Uh, You don't have to raise your hand, but... You can feel free if you want to. How many of you were baptized as an infant? I was, okay. So why don't we do infant baptism here? Why do we do believer's baptism? What's, what's, what, what is baptism? So we've got to figure that out as we work through the book of Acts. How does God speak to us today? Through his word, through angels, because we just read that last week, right? Philip had, had an angel speak to him. Through prophecy? How do we understand that? What of the Old Testament laws do we follow today, and how do we determine that? Or my last question here, what is the best way to present the gospel and evangelism today? That's going to be a big thing we're going to learn about missions and evangelism and being a witness, and what is the best way to do that today? It's interesting, I find that many of the books on apologetics that I have and witnessing that I had when I was in grad school, they're still good, but a lot of it's not fitting today because more and more our society in America is pulling away from a Christian worldview. So when you say the word God or Bible, kids don't even know what that means today. So you've got to even step back before that and get a foundation. What's the best way to do that? So what is the best way to answer these questions? How do we approach a passage? Three words that we will use. So if you could at least write these words down observation, interpretation, application. 
This is a common phrase, the three words that we use when we study the Bible. First, we observe it, then we interpret it, then we apply it. Unfortunately, too many people just grab a Bible and they try to apply it right away without understanding what the meaning of the passage is. Observation, interpretation, and application. Observation. What does it say? That's the question we're asking. What does it say? What does the text mean to that original biblical audience? You start there. What did it mean to them? We have to be like Sherlock Holmes. When he said to Watson... You see, but you don't observe. We don't want to just look at it and go, okay, here's what it means. We need to observe, understand it, read. So observation, read the text carefully and observe it. Try as much as possible to look at the text. Look, look, look again. Observing all that you can. Read, get the idea. What is this about? Ask many questions. What does it say? In fact, maybe I have a picture here of one of my examples. Do I not Nope, I don't. Okay, maybe it will show up later. Analyze the redemptive historical and literary context, words and structure. Who is the, what's the main subject? Who are the main people? What is this talking about God? And I usually come up with hundreds and hundreds of questions as I do this. Analyze Scripture. Observation. But with observation, remember, this is also a spiritual act. Here's what we should be doing all the time when we're reading scripture we pray this lord help me see it lord help me see it as we observe because a lot of times we're too quick we want to get through the passage right away or we already got our answers already know the answers to this one lord help me see it so observation what does it say the next one is this interpretation oh there's my there's my chart so there's just a each i read out the passage with each line i have tons of questions and and i'm a big nerd when i do this and i do it in pencil and yes i sniff pencils because i sharpen them often and this is these are the ways i begin to observe what's all happening there so observation the next one is interpretation what does it mean and this is where it takes the most work right here analyze the grammar and the significance of words study the historical and literary context what does this passage relate to other aspects so context is everything what does this relate to the one preceding it the one after it how does it relate to the whole aspect of this book that i'm reading the whole testament that i am the whole counsel of god i look at the biblical audience i look at words facts concepts i ask how does our understanding and theological principle fit within the rest of the Bible as I come to interpret this. This can be hard because there's more than different ways to do it, and this is where most of the work is. Again, when you're reading it, it was written to a biblical audience that's far away from us. Old Testament's hard to understand because we, we don't live in that type of culture, that type of climate. It's hard to understand. But then, again, this is a spiritual act. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me understand it. Then the last one is application. Observation, interpretation, then lastly is application. What does it mean for my life today? Apply. Relate. How does it relate to life? What is God calling you to do? How does this impact my life and how do I explain it to others? 
What is the central lesson? What are the main promises? What are the main commandments? What error should I avoid? What is the example here? What do I need most in this chapter to apply? And as I pray, I go, Lord, help me live it, okay? So these things are very important as we do this. So again, observation, interpretation, and application. So what I want to do is help you think through what this looks like. So when I was in college, and then this book was also in grad school, was this book called The Hermeneutical Spiral. Again, hermeneutics is the understanding of the science, the skill, the art of interpretation. Sadly, I didn't really read much of this. I did a little bit when I was in college. I should have read the whole book because it's dedicated to my wife and my sister-in-law. My father-in-law wrote this book. Little did I know I'd have to ask him for my wife's you know, hand and all that stuff, but he wrote this book. There's only two pictures in here, so it's hard to read, right? Okay. Gratefully, now there's one that's in college called Grasping God's Word. I think we have a picture of it there, yeah. Grasping God's Word. In the beginning, they say, hey, this book is written, and we've relied upon three books. One of them is The Hermeneutical Spiral. This is a great book, and I encourage you, if you want to, get this book. It's a great book to have. It's the college version of the Hermeneutical Spiral, and they go through how to interpret different types of genres and readings and Old Testament, New Testament. <clears throat> they do a great, great job in this. In this, it, can you go to the next slide, see what we have here? I think, oh yeah. So in this, they have this picture, which I think is very, very good to help you understand. <clears throat> we, in our interpretive journey, go through a process of this. We're on this side over here. See the city? It looks, doesn't look like Main Street because Main Street's closed down. Oh, just kidding. All right. Um, that one's open. So we're living in modern day, modern times here. Those are buildings that we live in. Those are the, the type of structures that and, and, uh, we have here. But we're reading something over here, very far away from us. How do we interpret? How do we understand that? And what they do is this. They give us four steps to grasp God's word and understand it. So here's what we got. Take a look at this. Step one. Step one is grasping the text in their town. Again, we got to understand what did that passage mean to that audience, not to us. Why clothing with one fiber, not two or many? Do you know that they live in a culture where all the other neighbors, the neighborhoods, all the other religions had many gods? And God's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm the only God. Those are pseudo-gods. And I want to help you remember that there's only one God. In fact, I want you to let people know there's only one God. So you're going to wear clothing with only one fiber. That's one external way you can say, guess what, people? There's one God, and I even show it in how I dress. Grasping the text in their town. What did the text mean to the biblical audience? So that, I ask, look at their place, look at their context, look at what's happening. What did it mean to them? And we're going to do that in the book of Acts. Because Acts is a very particular place in the plan of redemptive history. It's not like it was in the Old Testament. It's not like it was when Jesus was walking around. He just descended, and now the church has begun. How do we live out to be a witness? Step number two. 
measure the width of the river to cross. So could you, I'm sorry about doing this, could you go back two slides to show that picture? So sometimes the river is very narrow. In fact, when I was doing Greek, which Pastor Aaron's doing now, some of the letters were pretty e easy to look at and go, okay, that's an alpha, that's a delta, that's a sigma, I heard those things, there's an omega. The Greek was pretty easy. The road was, the, the river distance was pretty narrow. New Testament, yeah, some of that's pretty close to us now. But the Old Testament, when I worked on that language, we're going to pray a lot for Aaron when he does that. It's like taking a bunch of chromosomes and throwing them in a blender, blending them up and throwing them on a paper, and you're like, these don't even look normal. New Testament culture, we understand a little bit, but Old Testament culture, very different. So you can go back to, sorry about having you go back. Crossing the river, how big is the river? What is the difference between us and them? Time, geography, Middle Eastern stuff is very different than northern Wisconsin. What are the customs? What is the culture? What is the language? What is the literary difference? What are the spiritual? What? We have to ask all these questions. In fact, this past week, I went down to Madison to do a presentation. Before I went, I was like, I can't act like a northerner because Madison's very different, right? And even the audience I had was, I was like, well, this is going to be very hard and different. I had to study and think through one online going, this group is going to be there. What are they about? This is very interesting. They're very different than me. Step three, crossing the principalizing bridge. What is the theological principle in this text? Again, that question on the top of your Bible, if you, don't, you haven't written it down, do it. First page of your Bible, write down, what does this tell me about God? What is the theological principle I'm working on to understand this? And we're gonna ha we have to do this in the book of Acts. How does our theological principle fit with the rest of Bible? Here's where I believe in the book of Acts, many churches go astray. They find a verse, they go, look, this is what it is. This is what it's about, spiritual gifts. <clears throat> and they don't look at the rest of Scripture. What is the theological principle in the passage? We need to determine that. Then the last step, grasping the text in our own town. We've got to ask the question, how should an individual Christians live out the theological principle? So, again, all these notes will be online. Can you go to the next slide? So what I've done is I've taken their picture and I've done the three words we've got. Observation, interpretation, then application. So I put those over. I said, this is their town. Again, some of that... You, you got books, and we'll talk about those in a moment here, but then interpretation is the largest amount of time that I work on. That's why I think it's great that Pastor Aaron is learning Greek and Hebrew. As a preacher of the Word, you've got to know the Word. And, and that's, so again, observation, interpretation, application. To understand the passage you're working on, one of the most important phrases is this. Context is everything context is everything here's what tony says to the kids all the time in youth group context is king it's the number one thing context is everything when you look at the big picture the context to get the main point you move from the bible to the testament to the writer to the book to that specific major section to that verse to that word context is everything in fact, in the process, I'm just going to skip this part. We don't have time. There's a lot to do here. There's more notes in here about 10 steps that I take. So let's end. Let me end with this.
which I think I've done a little bit of this before, but let me, let me end with this. How do we answer the questions that we have? You get upon a passage, you look at it, it says something about baptism. It says something about missions and witness and evangelism. It says something uh, about uh, martyrs and, and what they've done and just the Old Testament law. We're going to get to Acts 15 and they're going to say, all right, the letter from Jerusalem. Does anybody know about that? Oh, it's gonna be, what are we going to do with this one? Here is what they're saying, what should we do? Should all the Gentiles, should they obey the law or not? And they go, all right. Let's boil it down to this. And they give us a few things. So should we apply that even today? How are we going to do that? How do we answer these questions? Not everything is equal and plain to see. So answering hard questions or getting to the difficult, help with difficult passages. Here's what I'm going to do. Ten things you need to do. And these are in order. Number one above all is the Bible. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't just get a phrase and go, that's what it says. We need to take it literally within its historical and literary context. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Seek the whole counsel of God. See where this word is used in a specific book by that author. See how Paul uses the word law compared to the way the word law is used in James. Or how does Jesus use the word law? Well, it depends on the context, audience, all that. Start with the Bible. Be a man and woman of one book, right? Start with that. Number two, go to a Bible dictionary. Here you are. My office is never locked. Maybe I think I've locked it twice, but my... It's a library. Go in there, grab a book if you want, and some of you have done that. I'm studying on the book of whatever, and they go in, they write a little note, hey, I took these books, awesome, great. These aren't my books. Well, they are, even though I've got my name in them. These are for you to use. Get a Bible dictionary. This is a great one. Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. When I went through the Gospel of Mark, I use this often because I don't know the culture, the customs, all that he was talking about. So this is great. This one talks, here's a whole section on the kingdom of God of heaven this is talking about libertarian hermeneutics the gospel of luke uh, parables preaching from the gospels there's so much yeah so get good bible dictionaries get bible tools bible helps encyclopedias handbooks backgrounds here's a couple things you can find online blueletterbible.org Biblehub.com has an interlinear where you can just look and go, what's the Greek word here? Or the Hebrew word. Biblestudytools.com. Number three, the history of the church. We don't live in this little corner of the world where we have it all perfect. We need to, here's one, this is part two of a three-volume set. The Creeds of Christendom. I love to study this and look at how they wrestled through talking about the deity that Jesus is God. I love how they wrestled through the concepts of baptism. I love how they wrote down some of the great creeds of the faith that we have. In fact, let me just give you to this. Guess what we're going to do? As we go through the book of Acts, when we get to like chapter 24, every Sunday we're going to work through the Apostles' Creed. We're going to work through that and see how did they come up with this and why are these words important? Number four, 
get a good commentary. Now, how many of you are going to be watching football or have watched football this weekend already? Just be honest, okay? Wow, in the past, is everyone. All right, a commentary is like a sports commentary, which I get tired of. Just show me the game, right? Quit talking about it. They're the specialist in the sports game. I've got multiple commentaries on the books of the Bible. This is one on the book of Acts. This is an exegetical commentary. In fact, in this book, which is great, what they do is they map it out. They sentence diagram and just highlight this. Some of you would fall asleep reading this, or this might excite you. You can you go to my office and grab some of these. A commentary is written by a specialist in that area. I'm not the brightest guy on the planet. I'm not as cool as I think I am. I need many of those tools. So get a good commentary. Commentary talks about biblical theology. Number five is theology. I forgot to grab one, but get good systematic theology. Every theologian has a slant. Never forget that. Every preacher has a slant. If I would ask Pastor Alan Classy from the Assemblies of God Church, one of my best friends, and if I would ask Pastor Todd Arneson from Red Cedar, one of my best friends, and if I would ask Steve Svensson from the Baptist Church, Reformed Baptist Church, and myself, if four of us, if I would say, let's all preach on the, this section of the book of Acts, I tell you what, it would come out a little differently, right? Because we have a different understanding, we have different slants on how we approach specific things. So know that person's slant. Number six, and this is number six only, but get a good study Bible. Again, this isn't just the NLT, it's a study Bible, so they have notes on how to study it. And I would encourage you, there's life application study Bibles, those are, those are good, but that's different than a study Bible, not an application Bible. Get a study Bible, not an application Bible. They have great study notes, and at the end. Then number seven, a trustworthy pastor. Know their slant. Pastor Cody's got some slants, and I, I acknowledge those right away, saying, hey, this is my slant. But don't just go to any pastor. <laughs> There's some out there that just go, that person should not be a pastor. Number eight, smart people. Trusted organizations or books especially when it comes to apologetics. There's some great writing out there. CARM.org is great. Got Questions is, is pretty good. They've got some great stuff. Bible Gateway. William Mounts, the Expository Dictionary. He's got Bible Gateway. Great, smart stuff on there. For the Evangelical Free Church, Greg Strand is our theologian. Check out his blog. He got, he's got amazing stuff, and he likes to share. This is what the free church believes on baptism. Here's our background. Here's our history. And he gives different examples. Great job. Or the Gospel Coalition is one I enjoy looking at. Number nine, this is way at the bottom, your friends and peers. Don't go this first. Hey, Billy, what's going on? I got this hard passage. Boy, I don't know either, but it's two in the morning, and we're eating popcorn, watching YouTube videos. Let's figure it out. Probably not the best way to do it, Okay. But yeah, you can go to your friends, peers. And lastly, internet general search. Don't do that. What does the Bible say? You know, you're going to end up, sometimes I'll, I'll find a 
biblical question I'll have, and I'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'll go to the internet and do that. And guess what the first one shows up? Jehovah Witness page. Oh, I better not click that. Well, maybe I shouldn't see what they understand, right? So don't do the internet. Let's end with this again. 2 Timothy. Do your best. Study hard. Get the hip waders on. You're going deep. Get these biblical tools. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A lazy person? No. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. My prayer is that we learn is through the book of Acts how to properly understand the passage, what's going on, and how we can be a witness but be better students of the word, right? Because our fingers are in the word, our eyes are in the prize, who is Christ, as we witness his great message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And Lord, help me. There's many prayers I say before I preach. And one of them is, keep my tongue from error. May I never lead someone astray. May I never promote my thoughts over your thoughts. Every time I preach, I'm very humbled, knowing I, I can't do this on my own. I, I'm grateful for a church that they pay me to study God's word, and that, that's humbling. And I'm grateful for the nights and evenings and days I get to sit at my desk, and I'm walking in deep waters. There's many cultural things I don't understand. I'm grateful for the men and women who've gone before us, who've written many books and many tools for us to understand. And I love the art of putting together a sermon. I love preaching. I love putting it together. But even more than all of that, I love when I study your word, you abide within me. It's a spiritual act. Your spirit directs me and guides me. Oh, and I get convicted as I should. Because I am not yet perfect. The perfect will come when I see him face to face. So help us, Spirit of God, as we go through the book of Acts. It's going to be deep, beautiful, wonderful, convicting, challenging. It's going to be confusing. But you will help us we might even change a little bit in our minor theological thoughts about certain things or be more accepting or, or be maybe more strict. That's up to you, Lord. Guide us, we pray. And thank you for your word. In your precious name, amen. Stand and join us in our last two songs.